Every Sunday morning during our Sunday school classes, we've been studying through the Lord's Prayer. And it's beautiful. There it is. That's the lesson right there, right on the wall behind me. How to pray has been the unit we've been in. And this morning, for the second week in a row, we looked at Matthew chapter 6, verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Last week we talked about praying for ourselves, and this week we talked about praying for others. I told you that I'm not going to be specific with either of those. I'm just going to look as a whole for that last week and this week at the subject of supplication, the idea of asking God or making requests to God. And last week well, I talked to you about making requests to God, and, learned, and we learned that God answers our prayers in his own ways according to his will and according to his word. Tonight, I would like to talk about praising God when the answer to the request that we made is no, which is not always pleasant. So the title of my sermon is Praising God When the Answer is No. I don't know if you guys saw the news this past week. Um, by a man by the name of Brent Taylor, who was the mayor of North Ogden, Utah, about 45 miles north of Salt Lake City, was killed in action in Afghanistan um, from, while serving with the Utah National Guard or Army National Guard. Um, and this was the mayor of the town. I mean, it wasn't a very big town, but he was still, that stood out to me, the mayor of the town. But then what really stood out to me was the couple days later, on election day, on Tuesday, um, his wife, Jenny, along with her, or his parents and some of their older children, uh, I, guess, I don't want to say welcomed, but were present when his body returned to the United States at Dover Air Force Base in Delaware. At the base, she was able to address the press and made a very strong and powerful statement about Major Taylor, her husband, as well as the importance of our democracy. This is some of what she said. Uh, she said, Brent may have died on Afghan soil, but he died for the success of freedom and democracy in both our countries. It seems only fitting that Brent, who in death now represents something so much greater than any of our own individual lives, has come home to U.S. soil in a flag-draped casket on election day, or on our election day. Whether Republicans, whether the Republicans or, the, or Democrats win, I hope that we all remember that we have far more, we, are, we have far more as Americans that unites us than that divides us. I personally just, I'm like hearing that this woman did that and the, as her husband's casket's being brought back to the United States. It's very powerful to see that she was able to stand up there and make that address and, and, and say that stuff um, out of love for her husband, but also just the, her strength that she must have had. Uh, in the midst of her grief, she was able to get up and give this very powerful speech, like I said, about her husband as well as her country. Uh, this evening, I want to talk about, I want to talk to you about standing up in the midst of our grief and hardship. You know, we all face hardships. We all face grief. We all face struggles and trials and temptations, tribulations, whatever word you want to put in there. The only way that we can ever possibly find rest for our souls is through Jesus Christ. So tonight we're going to talk about praising God when his will for us and his plan for us is for us to face those hardships, trials, as well as possibly grief. I told you last week that God always hears and answers our prayers, but sometimes God's answer is not what we asked for him. Like, you know, I, I might have made a request to God, and his answer to my request might not have been what I was expecting him to say back. And that's not always a fun thing. You don't want that. But that's kind of how it is sometimes. You may have wanted God to answer your prayers in one way, yet he chose for whatever purpose to answer them in a different way. While our faith should always tell us that God's way is better, it's easy for me to say that. It's easy for me to say, well, God's way is better. God's plan is better. That don't make it easy. That don't mean it's going to make us jump up and down and get excited. We need to learn how to praise God during our trials and hardships. 
and when God answers our prayers in a way that we didn't expect him to. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, if you have a Bible, um, 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm going to look at verse 3 down to the first half of verse 6 to kind of gain a context for what I want to talk about today. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 3. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, received in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice. And I'm going to pause right there. That's where we're going to stop for the time at this particular moment. So, of course, the author of First and Second Peter is Simon Peter, the New Testament figure, the fisherman and leader of disciples who eventually denied knowing Jesus three times the night before Christ was crucified, yet was eventually made the leader of the early church. Peter is writing to, a, to the early church, that has now been scattered throughout the known world at the time. Particularly, these were a group of Christians that were in what we would understand as Asia Minor, which my map is gone, that would have been perfect. Asia Minor is what we, would, what we understand today as modern-day Turkey. They were in this general area, kind of the area where the seven churches of Asia uh, would have been located, is where most of these Christians, um, where they were at this particular time. With that in mind, Peter's letter was not exclusive to the Jewish Christians by any means. It was truly one written to a very diverse group of people that would have been considered what we would call a general epistle, meaning it was given to everybody. It has application not only for the Jewish Christian, but also for the Gentile Christian. Uh, Peter begins his letter by praising God, calling the Lord blessed because of the fact that Christians have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This was done through great mercy, through the great mercy of God. Peter tells us that Christians were born again in order to obtain an imperishable, undefiled, and unfading inheritance in heaven. In verse 5, Peter tells us that Christians who were born again and have received that internal um, inheritance in heaven are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation to be revealed in the last time. The full extent of our salvation will not be understood until we're in the presence of God in heaven. That's really the point that, that Peter's getting at. And then verse 6 is where, I, where my, my text tonight really begins. You know, in verse 6, Peter begins by reiterating that believers in Christ should find joy in their salvation. But of course, the rest of verse 6 kind of flips this a little bit as well. So but um, just because Christians can rejoice in being born again does not mean that they will never face difficulties or hardships. Look at verse 6 in its entirety. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Peter's purpose for writing this letter was almost ex not exclusively, but very close to exclusively for the reason of encouraging the persecuted church. I mean, understand what just took place, what I just told you. You have a group of Christians who were from the Israel area. They were a lot of them were Jewish people. As a result of the church expanding, the Romans authorities and the, the Jewish individuals, the non-Christian Jewish people, rose up and did not particularly like that Christ was being proclaimed to all their all their area, their their country. And as a result, they got up, and next thing you know, these people are forced to leave. 
I mean, can you imagine being forced to leave your homeland, forced to leave your home? I mean, I, I've used the example before, you know, the food you like to eat, you know, everyone has that favorite restaurant. You know, you have to leave that favorite restaurant. The language you speak, oh, you're going to have to go to some foreign, you're going to go to Turkey. You essentially were speaking Greek at that point. And, the, and not that the Jewish people couldn't speak Greek, but it was a change, a dramatic change. I mean, they might not have faced direct, like, their persecution was to the point of death for some of them, but that wasn't everybody. Yet they were still facing pretty, um, pretty severe persecution. The church, early church, needed a word of encouragement, and that's what Peter um, gave. So here's kind of the point. I bet that early church, dispersed in Western Asia Minor, I bet they were praying. I mean, I, think about it for yourself. If you were in a spot where you were removed from your home and forced to move several hundred miles away, and not allowed to go back to your home, you're not allowed to go there anymore, you would probably ask God some questions too. They probably asked God, God, deliver us back to Israel. I want to go back to Israel. But at least initially, God's answer to that prayer was no. Right? I mean, look at what he said again in verse 6. Um, Peter tells their, these Christians that their various trials will continue to distress them for a little while if necessary. It's not saying that, oh, I'm, God's going to answer your prayers and everything's going to be perfect again. That's not what Peter said to them. Not at all. <laughs> And with that in mind, this is, again, from my perspective, putting myself in the shoes of these early Christians who have been dispersed to a country they don't know nothing about, this place that they're so, they're so foreign from their perspective. I bet today they were, they were having one of those moments where they were like, wait, wait, time out, God. I'm missing something here. I thought I asked you to do this. Why aren't you doing it? Because a lot of times I think we think, oh, we're going to pray, and it's a just thing. I mean, there's nothing ungodly about being sent back home. Why couldn't we, why, why, God, why couldn't you just let that happen? But of course, God has a bigger plan. And unfortunately, some of that plan involves some of them dying. Some of them never returning home. Some of them facing some of the worst possible persecution we could ever possibly imagine. And, and that, that kind of, I hope, resonates on your minds a little bit about the, per, the struggles that we might face, the hardships that we face in this life as well. Peter's readers, just like the Christians in need of answered prayers from God today, wanted to be delivered from their trials, yet God's plan did not involve that. That, that scenario was not in God's cards. He decided that was not how it was going to work. Why? Because sometimes the answer is no. But it still didn't really answer my question. Why? Why? Why would God leave someone in the midst of their hardships and to suffer? Why would God put someone in that situation? Because sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes God's plan and will calls for someone to suffer through hardships. But guess what? That wasn't a very good answer for me either. I don't know if you catch on as I'm preparing. That's literally what I'm doing. I mean, just because that's what the Bible says doesn't mean it's what I want to hear. Why, why is it necessary for some people to go through sufferings? Why do people suffer through financial troubles, divorce, marital issues, the um, illness or, or, or loss of a loved one, etc.? And honestly, we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us why. I don't think it does. Not, not, not satisfactory from my perspective. I mean, God never just flat out gives us the reason. I mean, he gives us encouragement, and we're going to see some of that today. But the reality is, when people suffer, when people go through hard times, when people face insurmountable tribulations in their life, I don't necessarily think the Bible gives you the reason and why. The Bible just says, be lifted up in the Lord. And that needs to be all we can do. You know, I do not think the Bible gives us an adequate answer to, the, to our questions about people suffering. I mean, I look around the world, and I, you can ask the question, 
you know, why, why it is what? I think it's like one third of our world today. Why are one third of our world living in such an extreme state of poverty? You know, I mean, why is that the case, God? And God doesn't tell us why. I mean, he, he like I said, I'm not saying he doesn't say why, but, you know, he's not giving us the, the clear answer for that. He's telling us, just take courage in me. He's saying, trust in me, is what he's saying. So let's take a look at the rest of 1 Peter. Look at 1 Peter verse 7 now. Let's continue looking at our text. Verse 7 here. I'm going to read verse 6 along with it because they really tie together in my Bible pretty well. Again, uh, Peter writes, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is imperishable, even tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The New Living Translation translated the verse this way. Uh, These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far from precious than, far more precious than, than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You see, we face hardships and trials in order to prove that our faith is genuine. Peter calls our faith, and he says our faith is more precious than gold. Um, the gold that has been purified through fire. Our belief in Jesus is more of more benefit to us than the best gold you can possibly find and purify. That, that's the illustration he's using here. Struggling through our trials, struggling through our hardships... As gold, okay, struggling through trials as gold is purified through fire makes us stronger and shows us that our faith is real. Overcoming our hardships makes us stronger. Overcoming our hardships causes us to sing praises to God and to find joy in the Lord. Peter drives this point home in the next two verses, verse 8 and 9. Look at 8 and 9 with me again. It says, And though you have not seen him, referring to God, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. So many, if not all, of Peter's readers had previously intera- have never previously interacted with Jesus Christ. They never had an interaction with Christ the way that some of the early churches, the way that Peter did. Their faith, this faith that they have, is grace is in the grace of God, literally gave them salvation because their belief was the similar belief that we have. Our belief in Christ is not because we witnessed him one-on-one. It's because of our trust in the Lord. Now, here's kind of the point. As hard as it is, we need to find joy in our trials. And that's, that's not an easy thing, but as hard as it is, we need to find joy in our trials. We need to praise God at all times when things are going good as well as when things are going bad. But again, it doesn't make it easy. Matter of fact, like I said, I mean, honestly, I'm reading this stuff. It doesn't make it easy at all. I mean, I've been very blessed. I've never gone through any any overwhelming, um, I don't know how you say it. You know, my, I was young when my grandfather's passed away. I remember my grandmother passing away, but she was very old. I've never really dealt with anyone dying like that. I've never gone through that. I've never faced those trials and hardships. But I can't even begin to imagine how hard it is to, to say goodbye to someone you love and care about to such an extreme and there are times when the, obviously the, you know, someone's death um, comes uh, from a perspective, like kind of makes sense, you know, they're older, it's meant to happen, right? And then there's other times where you're like, well, I didn't expect that to happen. And it's hard. 
and it hits home. And it's those times where I'm like, we, we would have to ask the question why, right? Yet, honestly, I don't know if I always feel like there is an adequate answer. But God does tell us to take courage. He says to trust in him. Here's a couple cross-references here. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10 says this. After you have suffered for a little while, the Lord, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Even though we're going to suffer through whatever it may be. And again, this is probably more in reference to persecution. Understand that. It's important to know the context. But the application is true of whatever situation we find ourselves in. You know, suffer through issues at work. Suffer through issues with family members. Suffer with issues through, I don't know, depression or addiction or whatever could be put into that category. The point here is that the God of all grace, who called you to eternal life in Christ Jesus or in, in glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Because as you go get through those hardships, you're going to continue to strive moving forward, continue to move forward, and continue to fight through those hardships. And those hardships are going to make you stronger. You're going to be a stronger person because of them. Um, James chapter 1 Verse 2 to 4, James, of course, the brother of Jesus, writes this. He says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I've always said that this verse is almost like a circle. If you can envision, you know, like a kind of a circular thing where it says, you know, um, the testing of your faith is the beginning of it. Your faith will be tested. But the testing of your faith produces endurance. Eventually, it leads to you becoming stronger. Um, I, I'm, I'm trying to lose some weight, but I'm telling you right now, I've lost a little weight. I'd probably drop dead mile one of that marathon. I'm telling you right now, if I started lifting weights, I'd be, I'd be wimping out very fast. You know, it just wouldn't work really good because in the end of it, you need to build up endurance to start lifting heavier weights. You need to build up endurance to run a marathon. There was a story. This is completely getting off subject. Did you see the article about... Uh, a, a guy, a fe- someone's boyfriend, um, jumps out into the marathon and proposes to the woman. I think she was at like 16th mile of the marathon. And a bunch of people on, on Facebook and stuff are bashing her for it. I, I'm saying something like he shouldn't have interrupted her marathon. I'm like, he asked her to marry him. Give him a break. But um, on my point, though, again, getting me getting off again. The, the idea is that we need to build up endurance. You have the testing of your faith. The testing of your faith produces endurance. But then endurance continues with that it continues to the perfect result and what i would call maturity in christ so the top is testing of your faith kind of to the side down here is endurance and then on the other side is maturity in christ your faith being tested produces endurance and your endurance produces maturity in christ but like i said it's a circle you might be the most mature christian i've ever met before guess what though it always begins it goes back to testing of your faith because your faith will always be tested your faith will all you're always going to struggle through one thing or the other and that, that, that struggle, those, those hardships, cause you to get stronger in Christ. You know, that marathon runner, you know, let's say somehow over the next year I worked really hard and became a marathon runner, but then I stopped training for a year. I wouldn't be a very good marathon runner two years from now because it's, it's the process. It's the continued preparation. As Christians, we need to do the same thing. The hardships you face will make you stronger in your faith. That alone should lead us to joy. The best medicine for a Christian to take when it, when it comes to facing hardships in this life is walking in a closer relationship with the Lord. And that's why I always say you need to grow in your faith. We grow in our faith by talking to God through prayer, listening to him through his word, and fellowship with him, fellowshipping with him through his church. Bottom line, 
Open your Bible. Talk to God when you're like in the process of reading your Bible. Okay, I'm bad. I should be You got to pray to Him first. We've been talking about prayer. Have an open line of communication with the Lord. Um, no relationship I can ever have, either with my children, my wife, my parents, whatever, would be a good one if I didn't communicate with them. But then you also need to open up His Word. I think we talk to God when we pray to Him. We can communicate to Him. The way He responds to us today is through His Word. This has everything you're ever going to need. You're not going to need a new book. We don't need the Book of Mormon. We don't need any other book. This is all you need because all the answers are right here. Open it up. Find out what it says. And then finally, you need to fellowship with him through his church. This is an important setting, you know, because on your own, I mean, I can go and hide out of my house, go, you know, build a house on top of a mountain somewhere, pray to him and read my Bible all I want. If all I'm doing is talking to myself, how do I know what I'm thinking, what I'm, what I'm getting out of this is correct? It might be wrong. There's been a whole lot of people like that. You know, preachers, they go, what was that, Bob Jones, is the right name, with the Kool-Aid? You know, like I said, you know, I mean, he thought he was right, too. I think it was Jim Jones. Jim Jones, close enough. Bob Jones was like a, a singer, wasn't he? No, I don't know who Bob Jones is. I don't know. Is. There's a Bob Jones University. There you go. He, him too, yes. Yeah. So we're not making fun of him. We're talking about Jim then. There's also Bob Jones. Yeah. The, Money thing, which my grandson's involved in. There you go. Well, that's, that's it. I mean, the, the point is, you know, on your own, you can come up with a whole lot of crazy stuff. I'm sure there have been tons and tons of people that have done that. Tons of people have come up with a lot of crazy things on their own. As a group, though, with those checks and balances, you know, you can have, you know, there have been some very good preachers who are going off left field somewhere, you know, preaching to some, you know, group of people way out behind the stands or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, it, it happens. As preachers do that, too. And that's why we all work as a group to correct each other and to line each other and make sure we're all walking right with the Lord. When we persevere through our trials and hardships, and so getting back to the point, when we persevere through our trials and hardships, we will receive a great reward, which is in heaven. And this is a text I used several weeks ago. Um, when we were talking about God's promise to reward his saints. James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Bottom line, you have a crown waiting for you, waiting for you in heaven if you just strive through your hardships, force your way through, and do what you got to do. So let me close up with this. Sometimes when we pray... In the midst of our hardships, trials, and grief, you feel as though God is not listening to you and not answering your prayers. I mean, that's just the reality of it, right? But as I told you last week, God always hears your prayers and he always answers them. The problem is sometimes his answer is no. And that's the truth of it. And for whatever reason, God calls us to continue struggling through hardships and trials. I mean, that's not what we want, but for whatever purpose, that's the circumstance that we find ourselves in. That's what God has for us. And it's not always an easy thing to say. I had a conversation with someone today that, that you know, I'm, I'm trying to help her understand what was going on in her life. And I'm like, I don't know what the right I can't, I don't have an answer for you. Because that's how it is sometimes. We just don't know. And that's when the only available option is to turn it over to the Lord. Give it to God. And do so with joy in your heart. And praise him with your lips. And embrace in the encouragement of God's word in God's church. Let me close this in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you and I praise you for all that you've done. Bless us now as we focus on you. Help us remember you in our times of need. When we're facing what seems to be insurmountable trials in our life, help us remember that you are with us and you're there beside us and you're going to help us make it through it. We thank you and we praise you in your wonderful name. Amen.